Welcome to Discourse, a podcast that explores multiple perspectives to think deeply and connect honestly with each other. I'm Anne Song. And I'm Sarika Narainson. On the agenda today, Anne and I are completing an assignment called the Current Conversation Podcast Episode. Hey Anne, last time we talked, mm-hmm. you just got your G. Yes. You still have yet to drive me anywhere, let alone <laughs> Ikea. Um, it's true. It will happen, I promise. Yeah, I heard about your apple picking. Yeah, I went apple picking last weekend. That was 45 really nice. minute drive. But I did not drive. I didn't see anything. <laughs> I didn't even eat an apple. So I, I will take you before, before it gets colder. All right, all right. What else is going on for you? Um, this past weekend, I went to go see Anna Green Gables, the ballet, which is um, pr- produced by Ballet Jorgen, and they're in partnership with George Brown College, uh, specifically George Brown Dance. And so it was really nice because I got to see some familiar faces. Um, a lot of the dancers are actually George Brown students that I've taught in the past, so that was really cool. True fact about you, the fact that you were named after Anne of Green Gables. I was. I was, yeah. So... <laughs> For our listeners, um, so I have my Korean name. My Korean name is Won Young. Which is very nice. Thank you. But back in the 90s, when, you know, I don't know, when I went to go sign up for kindergarten, <laughs> the secretary told my mom I needed an easier name for the teachers. And so yeah. my mom was like, oh, on the spot. She was put on the spot, so she's like, oh my gosh, I don't know any other, uh, like, what's a Canadian literary character? And the only one she could think of was Anne of Green Gables. So I was named Anne on the spot. So I entered uh, TDSB kindergarten, junior kindergarten with, uh, with the name Anne. That's cute. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got to see that ballet, which is really cool. Cool. Um, I went to see a streetcar named Desire. Cool. Yeah. And with, that's at Soul Pepper. Soul Pepper. Yeah, it was good. Have you ever, did you have to read that when you were in high school? Yeah, so? when I was in high school, I read it. I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. But I've never seen an actual production. So that's really cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Like they even um, incorporated jazz and they were like really interactive for the audience. Cool. It was cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, you recommend? I recommend. It wasn't like. It wasn't like watching Kim's Convenience. Okay. If that like, makes no, it doesn't make sense. Like Kim's Convenience was like so intimate. Like because I, I watched Kim's Convenience teared up a little bit. Yeah. This I was like, oh, okay. 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 Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Cool. Like Whatever. a solid seven. Like a six and a half. Oh. <laughs> Like All right, speaking of, um, you know, rating productions and performances, yes. we're going to be talking about two essays, mm-hmm. and we're going to be sharing our, our thoughts on these two essays, in some ways also assessing, you know, where they stand and how we feel about them. So let's just jump right in. Sure, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can we start off with a little bit of context sure. to the assignment, just to remind students and listeners Um, At this point in the semester, students have formed into research teams, Mm -hmm. and as a team, they've developed a shared research question. So we're modeling the exact same thing, um, and we will share what our research question is. Sure. So the question number one is, what is your research question? And this is one that Sarika and I came up with together. Um, And the question is, to what extent has the feminist celebration of female friendship disrupted and challenged oppressive structural systems such as patriarchy, colonialism, and capitalism in an effort to activate social justice? Mm -hmm. And this is specific to the AWCCA program, the Assault of Women's and Children's Counselor Advocate Program. So there is a a clear feminist slant, um, but I think it's something that a lot of us can benefit from thinking about. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to research... There are a couple things that we kind of started off thinking about first before we even arrived at these articles. 
Um, so for me, when I was thinking about this, I sat down and I said to myself, okay, what kind of information do I need to get? Mm-hmm. Because research can be really daunting or scary. Um, so I knew that I need to give historical context to this quote-unquote celebration of female friendship and why it's come about and things like that. So that's kind of informed the article that I picked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is I want to be able to describe the effect that this celebration has actually had on disrupting the patriarchy mm-hmm. or not disrupting. So I'm just giving this as kind of like context in case students are feeling, I don't know where to start with my research. Um, so those were kind of two things that I had in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And so you've chosen two articles. Um, why don't you start with the first one but the by Kayleen Schaefer? Maybe you want to summarize that one and then sure. I'll summarize the other one. Okay, yeah. And I may not capture everything. Do you mind jumping in if sure. I, I miss yep. something? Yep. Okay. So Kayleen Schaefer, she actually wrote a book called uh, Call Me When You Get Home. Um, so this is a 2018 article that's from Glamour and it's titled Female Friendships Are More Crucial Than Ever. So why do we still love a cat fight? And in it, she explains that folks have been socialized to expect that women are going to compete against each other. And it's kind of this idea like, oh, there can only be one woman at the table. Mm. And so now what's radical about female friendship is that it elevates all women. So anyone in your squad, you know, that Mm. hashtag um, girl squad. And this is a term that Schaefer herself uses. Mm -hmm. Can be kind of elevated or brought up. Um, But of course, who makes it into that quote-unquote in-group? That's kind of depends. Mm -hmm. Um, So Schaefer kind of recognizes the limitations of this thought process um, and that it's not always very intersectional. Mm -hmm. And she's pushing for um, and showing us through examples how it doesn't always have to be the case where women have to hate each other or that women have to be catty. Mm -hmm. Um, There exists many female friendships that are positive and supportive um, and that can even lead to professional success. And she gives us a bunch of examples of collaborative relationships that lead to very successful outcomes. Mm -hmm, Like the work wives, Mm -hmm. like the of a kind e-commerce website, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. And the second article we looked at is by Sadie Graham, and it's called How Our Culture Obsession with Platonic Girlfriends Sidelines Queer Women. So this is a really interesting piece. It's a direct response to pieces like Schaefer. Um, think pieces that people like Schaefer have produced. And actually, Graham goes into a list of looking at different think pieces and podcasts and films that have been looking and celebrating female friendships. And she's offering us a different perspective here. And when the perspective she is offering us uh, is one of criticism, she criticizes the celebration of platonic quote unquote girlfriends and quote unquote work wives, um, because she says that there's a power dynamic in these relationships um, that assumes heteronormativity, that assumes that the women involved are in are all straight or heterosexual, and therefore in that process of celebrating this intimacy, in um, it ends up sidelining queer women and queer desire and absolutely crushing the possibility of that, quote, like platonic relationship becoming something that can be romantic or sexual. And so for her, she kind of shows us a perspective of, you know, as a queer woman, that for her, actual romance and sexual desire is a very real and painful, if not reciprocated, possibility. And so it's her kind of responding to all of think pieces and essays that celebrate female friendships to say, hey, you forgot about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it is disrupting the patriarchy, but at the expense of, of queerness mm-hmm. and queer women. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our next question. 
I'll read it out to you. Yeah, thank you. Describe your social location to the extent that you're comfortable and how might have your social location and the different identifiers of your identity influence your understanding and interpretation of the sources. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you start. You want me to hop in? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is, by the way, a hard, this is a hard question for me to answer. I'm, I'm interested to hear why. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so people know that I'm a lesbian um, and a queer woman. So I read Graham's text from that position. Mm. And I read it also as a person of color, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I kind of related a lot to what she was saying. I didn't relate to her, I, I want to say later on, her resentment. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've had feelings for straight women in the past and felt sidelined. Um, but unlike her, I've been very vocal about my feelings. Mm. And it sounds from what she said that she wasn't necessarily vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that I had the same extent of, I don't want to call it internalized homophobia, but I don't think that I had that kind of like self-loathing or mm-hmm. doubting that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get what she's saying, but I also had the feeling that she was really upset by heteronormativity in general. Mm-hmm. So I read both pieces as a straight woman who has a lot of female friends. Mm-hmm. And so I have, to admit, yeah, I, ha- I have to admit that I really disliked Graham's essay because I took it as a personal attack. Yeah, um, she was attacking. Yeah, so, so just I had a lot of, um, my, I could tell like I was on a defensive mode and my back was up a bit because as someone, and I, well, this is obviously my projection of my own biases, onto this piece, but as someone who has a lot of female friends that support me and, uh, and that I reciprocate and I support, um, and also having quote unquote work wife, Sarika being, <laughs> being you, um, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I felt like a lot of the things that she was saying, I just, I guess I never considered it that way, or I just didn't agree with, um, the way she was just generalizing or painting female rela- friendships as being toxic ones. Um, so, so that I have my back up a little bit about that, but I do appreciate, I read it a couple times and I think what I did understand to see was like, wow, I'm definitely, obviously this is my straight privilege, the yeah. ability to, you know, n- navigate through these kinds of female friendships, um, and, uh, not have, not to be me, I don't want to say not to be accountable, but like to not fully consider the possibility of romance, um, that is also my privilege uh, as a straight woman. And so I, I, I really did see her calling me out on that. And so I do appreciate that. I also at first was a little bit confused, but after reading a second time, I now recognize how problematic the term girlfriend is. She says, um, you know, when women call their women girlfriends, it's problematic because it assumes because it's such a word that's often used in heterosexual relationships, by taking that and, and you're still then supporting and assuming heteronormativity. And not only that, um, a lot of queer women have to fight really hard to have that label for their partners. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it, yeah. so, so to just uh, very loosely use that term for platonic friendships can also be very problematic. And I've never considered that before. So that's definitely my because of my social location that I haven't considered that. So that I appreciate becoming in line to those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've been in positions where I've been super confused and people are like, Oh, I hung out with my girlfriend on the weekend. I'm like, like your romantic girlfriend or like your friend. <laughs> that's just a girl. Yeah. <laughs> what does this mean? What are you, yeah. what are you trying to tell yeah. me right now? So, yeah. So I think those are ways in which our, our different lenses come into play. Right. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, so at this point, mm -hmm. do we want to just dive into whether or not we would actually use these sources in our essay? Sure. So okay. the, one of the questions, question number four, we look at, um, let's assess the rhetorical strategies that these sources use to determine their overall reliability. Um, and then we, we also encourage our students to provide evidence from the source to back up and justify our evaluation. So why don't we start with uh, Schaefer's piece? How did you feel about her piece? I think I would use Schaefer in two ways. Like mm -hmm. I think that she offers a lot of resources and she offers a really, really good like uh, overview mm. of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I'm- But very abridged. Like I know she it says is, yeah. it's an abridged history, but right. I thought that overview was like so- But that's a like, tactic. I mean, she wants us to buy her book, I think. Oh, I see. Mm. <laughs> I know. I haven't considered that. But like, I just felt like she breezes over it so quickly. Mm -hmm. What would you have wanted more from? Um, I mean, I don't want to go into talking too much about Graham's piece right now, but I didn't really see the kind of critical analysis that I would hope for in a think piece. Like for me, this right. piece was very bland. Like mm -hmm. it was very just like expository, like this is what it is. And, it, and here's an overview as opposed to deep dive study of female friendships. And maybe you're right. Maybe that happens in her book. Yeah, because I think she interviews so like a bunch of, of women. Right. Okay. Now, okay, that explains a lot. But that, so that's the thing, like, it's just an entry point, I think, for me at this point. Right. Um, it kind of gives me a good lead. If anything, mm -hmm. I want to go on mm -hmm. Taylor Swift's Instagram. To, right. Okay, so let's just give, give the readers, um, sorry, the listeners, um, some context. So she mentions, you know, to talk about squad and girl squad. She talks about Taylor Swift and how um, she has, like, Carly Kloss and Gigi Hadid and all of these people. And, and it was a kind of a moment in pop culture where, um, people like Taylor Swift, like we can, women can be friends with each other. And it's okay to have a big group of female friends. And and so she briefly mentions, well, um, you know, there was some backlash because all the women are super hot models, um, white and rich. And so she talks about that briefly. And there's a part actually where she says, but FYI, she does have black friends, you know, because <laughs> she mentions like she's also friends with, um, who did she say? Leslie Tiffany Jones Haddish, and Tiffany yeah. Haddish. And she says, right, okay, this is my problem with her. Right after mentioning Leslie Jones and Tiffany Haddish, she goes, and I'm quoting her, quote, it's important to see depictions of our friendships and all of their complex glory, end quote. What does she mean by that? I don't know. Like, is the complex glory the fact that Taylor Swift has black friends? Like, I was so confused. So, yeah, I mean, I think what we can take away from Schaefer is, like, she does not take an intersectional approach at all. No. And she's not really trying to represent female friendship in its all of its complex nuances. Yeah, that's the thing. She uses the word complex glory, but I don't think she actually, like, illustrates what that complex glory is. And for me, when someone says complex glory, it means you're going to really look at all the different types of friendships that come, come about, not simply like, oh, Taylor Swift has diverse friends. Mm -hmm. No, I see your point. Yeah. I think like in her defense, we haven't read the full book. And I think right. she was just trying to get us to buy it. Okay, yeah, I see your point. Capitalism but trumps. <laughs> um, what else? Um, speaking it. of complex glory, the term again that she uses, um, 
she only focuses on relationships that are advantageous to the workplace. So she discusses Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon in collaborating on Big Little Lies. Mm. She talks about Phoebe Robinson, Jessica Williams, collaborating on Two Dope Queens, a podcast. And she talks about her friend Erica, who invited her to write for her Erica's newsletter and that leading her to her book deal. Mm. So she's showing us like, look, this is how women can support other women to be successful in the workplace. But again, um, I think there are also female friendships that are not necessarily professional collaborations that can that are just as important. And I don't know if she really goes into that um, so much. Again, not doing justice to the term complex glory. And perhaps it's because she wants us to then read her book to get the full picture. I don't know. And I mean, I think that's problematic too, right? Like I'm going back to our research question and we're also trying to think about how female friendship can disrupt capitalism and that form of oppression. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it seems to be that Schaefer is suggesting that female friendship is a way to not just navigate capitalism, but also to like benefit from it, which, I mean, aren't we just reproducing oppressive power structures? Like, aren't mm-hmm. we just being caught up in that classism? And I, like, I would hope that we are not just friends and work wives for professional success or professional gain, right? right? I think there's, we're not just need friends. We're right. like truly friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I mean, having said that money is important. totally get that um and so I think those kinds of professional relationships are important Mm -hmm. but you're right it um yeah maybe I mean maybe she does she goes into this in her book but again not very clear where like is this just a networking thing or is this like a real friendship yeah and it reminds me of and maybe this can be like further research we can do later on um but call your girlfriend Mm -hmm. the two hosts Aminatu so Mm-hmm. And, and, and Fried- Friedman, they yeah. talk about shine theory. Yes. Do you want to explain what the shine theory is? Because I love this theory. Do, can you jump in and explain it? I'm not fully versed okay. in it, but okay. I know that some of the criticisms is, or people have questioned, like, so are you saying that I should only be friends with people who are going to benefit me professionally? Right. Okay. So let's back this up. So shine theory is this um, theory, uh, well, it's this way of living it's like this principle that you can kind of base most yeah, of it's your like friendships a mantra. on yeah so it's based on this expression if i don't shine you don't shine and it's um this uh, idea that uh, and i'll actually read out parts of it so sh- quote shine theory is an investment over the long term in helping someone be their best self and relying on their help in return so it's this idea of it's okay to have friends who are successful. They are not your competition. In fact, the more you help them shine and the more you become affiliated with them, the more you will shine as a result. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, I mean, not just so and Anne Friedman's way of saying like, when you find a successful friend or when you have friends who are doing their, like doing their jobs, being, trying to be their best selves, push them to be their best selves and mm-hmm. support them in that process. Because by being friends with folks like that, that comes right back at you. And they kind of clarify in their, uh, by the way, you could, everyone could look this up. It's shinetheory.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they kind of go into this entire manifesto about this. And, and they basically also say like, this is not about networking. Um, it's not just so that it's like, you only get into relationships that like benefit you in this way. Um, but there is a, an advantage of, um, surrounding yourself with really smart, successful people and pushing and being in being friends, genuinely friends with them, not viewing them as competition. And that all comes back later in different ways through your friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I was thinking about that theory, just like you, when I was reading um, Schaefer, she doesn't talk about it explicitly, but that's under the same principle. And like the, the examples that she provides are all like shine theory examples, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But then the other issue, like you just brought up, is like, well, 
does it does shine theory only is that only about being friends with successful people can it just can it happen in non-professional settings and i think so i think so and i think i think shine theory too is like it's just showing up for your friends yes and it's just positively reinforcing them and Mm -hmm. and wishing them the best and Mm -hmm. not being jealous of their achievements or their Mm -hmm. successes or Mm -hmm. their ambitions and i think that's really tough no one really talks about that in any of these pieces but jealousy Mm -hmm. um i think that's that's what brings us down yeah yeah so um I don't know if Schaefer knows about Shine Theory. I She publishes in 2018, so I imagine she does. I think she does because in another article that I had she read, she talks about she it. She does talk about it. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so um, again, I think if she's going to use the term complex glory, um, I thought if she, maybe if she had more time and space, she could also look at relationships, friendships that are also in line with Shine Theory, but not necessarily that leads to professional collaboration, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. What about Graham's text? Would you re- use that one? Oh, I have so many thoughts about this essay. Okay. I I would probably (laughs) use her, but not because her ideas are clearly expressed. Really? Yeah, I I found her ideas quite confusing. She's confusing the first half. She gets clearer in the second half. So, But she needs a better editor. Yes. I agree. (laughs) So Sadie Graham publishes this on on Vice Magazine. Am I right? Vice Magazine. Um... Let's 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 talk about what we appreciate at first. Okay. How about that? And then we could talk about what we found problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, mm-hmm. unlike I know you said you want her to uh, be more clear, I actually I would say I really appreciate the second half of her essay mm-hmm. because there I found her very sharp and insightful and perceptive, and her language. Um, compliments the kind of criticism that she has and reflects the kind of criticism she has. And I, so I appreciated um, her language. And I'll actually read a quote that she I found in the, in the second half. So she says here, those stories, and by the way, this is me inserting myself, by stories, she's talking about the narrative of straight women seeking emotional support through female friends mm-hmm. and getting their emotional needs that, according to Sadie Graham, that they can't find in their male partners. Um, from female friends. So those stories, I'm continuing the quote, might reframe these affairs away from the question of loneliness, unhappiness, malaise and need, and towards a question of labor, consumption and use. It might help us to recognize how when straightness is assumed default, gestures of queer intimacy get muddled, blurred and erased amidst all that platonic friendships have been stretched to encompass, end quote. So I, I thought that language there that she uses, especially like words like loneliness, unhappiness, need, and then con- contrasting that with like labor, consumption, use, um, that made it really clear to me, like her ideas, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I appreciated that because um, like, I don't know, when I was reading her essay, I was, because my defense, I was like, I have a lot of female friendships and I really do think that your friendships can offer you and help you fulfill certain needs that maybe your partner can't. Uh, whether your partner is a male or female, it doesn't matter. I, I think that they're both important in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my like annotation that I wrote on one of the comments that she made, I was like, well, you know, your boyfriend, husband, partner can fulfill needs in different ways from your female friends. And they're like, just because they're not like mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like you and can I have... think it's unfair to put that kind of pressure on either your friend or your partner. Right. Um, but I use that needs language, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I when I was writing my notes, I was like, oh, you could find these needs. And and she call, calls me out on that. She's saying, stop using the language of need 
Like this is from from the other perspective as a queer woman, it could, it's about emotional labor and consumption and use because she's trying to show that there is a kind of exploitative nature to some of these female friendships. So I I, I don't agree with her idea, by the way. But, yeah, I, I sorry <laughs> but, for the listeners. But, I just rolled my eyes. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no I don't agree with the idea. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I do appreciate the clarity of her language. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, that I appreciated, um, and and I could see why she's saying that queer desire then gets what she uses the term blurred, blurred and erased in that process. Um, so I did appreciate the kind of language she uses there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much in terms of appreciation. That was it. But this is the thing: like that queer desire is going to be blurred if you haven't actually created those boundaries. Okay. Yes. Right. Like yes. you need to speak your needs. Mm. So let's actually talk about that. Okay. <laughs> let's let's talk about the fact that she doesn't seem to know how to have an adult conversation to set certain boundaries. Yes. With her friends, like this is appropriate. This is inappropriate. You're asking too much of me. Yes. Okay, so um, let's, okay, so so she's basically saying that, um, okay, so the, she, the, the woman that she, the women, several women that she describes, she's saying there's a running pattern here, and these straight women are, are, according to her, supposedly flirting with her, teasing her, leading her on because they can, and using her as a soundboard, seeking her for emotional needs, and then, and then not engaging with her in a romantic or sexual way. And she's saying that ultimately this is damaging for queer women. This like celebration of this, these kinds of friendships. And then while I was reading that, I was thinking, you just have bad friends. Yeah, that can go in any direction. Yeah, these are just bad people. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be a straight woman to do that to another woman. Like straight women do that to other straight women. And queer women do it to other queer women. Yes. Yeah. And and straight women can do it to men. Men could do it to other women. Like the people she's describing are not and therefore I feel like it's an unfair generalization of female friendship because the ones that she's describing are very toxic and these kinds of toxic friendships can be in any relationship Mm -hmm. like you don't have to be a straight woman to do this no and I think what she's kind of missing the point of and it's unfortunate because she does use that language of labor consumption and use we have been socialized to use all women right women have been taught to use women Mm mm-hmm Men have also been taught to use women in this way as well. Right. So it's so not it's just not about straight just, women against yes, queer women. Exactly. So I thought that was yeah. a really problematic binary that she was creating there. Yeah. And I don't know if folks are familiar with uh, Caroline, Carolyn Calloway. She's like a mega influencer on Instagram. And recently there was a New York magazine um, essay that her ex-friend and former ghostwriter, uh, Natalie Beach, has exposed mm, her in this mm-hmm. really long-form essay, basically talking about how, you know, she's created this uh, facade of this, you know, per- perfect Instagram influencer, but all behind the scenes, it was Natalie Beach that was writing her captions and um, being, well, from Natalie's perspective, being used. Um, their friendship was very toxic, and she's been let down multiple times. And so she kind of exposes her. And not not pointing any fingers, I think, if we're being honest, all of us have been at one point a Carolyn, at one point a Natalie. So I'm not saying, you know, one person's a bad person, one person's not. But um, this again, these are two straight women. Like, it's not about... Um, it doesn't just have to be a straight woman versus queer woman thing, mm-hmm. which that's, again, my problem. What was my problem with her essay? Mm-hmm. I thought that was unfair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then going back to your boundaries point. The, okay, so she says, and I'll, um, I'll quote here. 
she says, quote, um, so this, she's basically saying this is what's damaging for queer women, quote, to be asked for things most people give to a partner and to bear the expectation that you won't ask why she can't get what she wants or needs from the men who are supposed to be in her life, not just living in tandem with them, end quote. Um, wait, why are you not just asking them this question? If, if you know what I mean? Like, if you feel like your friend is overreaching a boundary that they shouldn't be crossing, I think she needs to voice that and say, this is the most I can offer you in terms of helping you go through X, Y, Z, but this other stuff is maybe something you should deal with family and your partner. Mm-hmm. It's too much emotional labor right. for me. Yeah. So I don't, she, there's several times actually she says where, oh, you know, I can't voice this. It's just assumed that I would be there for her. No, it's not. I think if your friend was a good friend and if you voiced your boundary, they'd be more than happy to say, oh, wow, I was overreaching there. I'm sorry. And 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 you could renegotiate that boundary or like figure something out or or, or just not be friends with them. That's the thing. And she like, doesn't do that. And I think if she were a good friend, it's also a moment for you to say, for her to ask, is something like, why are these needs not being met at home? Mm-hmm. Or like, are you, is everything okay? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a conversation to happen as well. Mm-hmm. But if her intention is to have a romantic relationship with this other woman, I mean, it seems like they're operating under totally different assumptions. Like one of them wants to be a friend and the other one wants to have a relationship. I don't... Yeah, no, there's well, a, a communication issue there. Yeah. Anyways, that's my thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Of, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, in the end, I think I would use it for mm. her perspective. I think mm-hmm. she offers like a different perspective. Um, I think the one thing that I really did like and was for me like the clencher uh, was I think about halfway through the essay, she does ask this really critical question. She does say, women calling each other quote unquote work wives seems on the surface to be about making a mockery of that relationship. So she's referring to when men claim a work wife mm-hmm. uh, and reclaiming it themselves and their place in the office, proclaiming the power of women working together. But then she asks, but does it? For who and for which women. And I think that's at the heart of her essay. And it can really sort of shed light on future research for me. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah. I I think going back to our original question of like, to what extent do female friendships disrupt the patriarchy and things like that? Graham is offer, offering us a perspective where she's basically saying female friendships actually um, support heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... I think I would also use her, if I'm going to write this essay, to offer me that different take mm-hmm. um, and to question our assumption that all female friendships are good friendships. Um, but otherwise, I think there were some problems there that makes her source, to me, unreliable. Mm-hmm. But we would have to break down in our essay, I think, how heteronormativity is a patriarchal, colonial, and capitalistic sort of assumption concept or, or institution. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that being said, mm-hmm. the fifth question is, how have these sources deepened your understanding of the topic that's, that is at the heart of your research question? So I think for me, both texts have given me some insight into female friendship and it's challenged me to think about the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's a power that seems to be, at least from Graham's perspective, only reserved for straight women. Mm. And I'm thinking about the example that Graham gives when she like kind of praises uh, a female coworker by saying, I would marry her in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And is then kind of like subtly shamed by her coworkers for mm-hmm. bringing up marriage to another woman. Mm-hmm. And I think, and also the fear of being reprimanded for workplace harassment. Yeah. I think that for me was like, oh, okay, wow. There are like actual 
yeah, it's true. There are, there are institutional barriers mm-hmm. um, that we need to think about. Yeah, I think both sources, just like you, both sources help me to see that um, there's also a power dynamic in friendships, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that we don't like to think about or we like to think like, oh, no, like we're just friends or like we're equals. You know, yeah. yeah, we're equals. But no, every, every relationship is a power dynamic. Yeah. And I think um, they shed light to that. So maybe we can use something like that to mm-hmm. also think about how um, patriarchy, colonialism, capitalism, that can kind of bleed into specific relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about number six? Sure. The question is, now that you have read these sources, what is your current answer to your research question? I'm, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I have to still do more research to, to figure this out and where I stand. I still think that female friendships can be definitely transformative and empowering. Um, but now that I can see from Sadie Graham's essay how they can also hurt and reinforce heteronormativity, um, that kind of changes things up a bit too. Mm-hmm. So I would have to dig, dig uh, deeper into this. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll even look at like, hist- and that answers my next question, like what are you curious to learn more about? Um, study more of the historical context as well. And also to to look at some primary sources um, of, of podcasts or films that represent these female friendships and to study them too. Yeah, I so I've been thinking about uh, one book that I saw that's available at U of T's library, unfortunately. So I'll have to sneak into Robarts in some way. <laughs> but it's called Friendship as Social Justice Activism, Cultural mm. Solidarities in a Global Perspective. And it was just published in 2018. Wow. And it's a bunch of essays. And I think it would give us a lot of insight into this. That sounds like an excellent source. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, but maybe boring Schaefer's book. Right, she interviews hundreds of... Right, just to get the full uh, perspective. And you know who's coming out with a book as well? About friendship. Call Your Girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Our our favorites, Anne Friedman, Aminata So, who put together Shine Theory. By the way, side note, we saw them live, their podcast recording live. It was amazing. Excellent. So we have a lot of research to do. Lots. Okay, well, and thanks for thinking deeply and connecting honestly with me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.